Okay, I'm sitting down with Jay Schultz in the heart of Tel Aviv next to Dizengoff Square. Jay is the founder of the Amistral Foundation and is a diplomat with the World Jewish Congress, focused specifically on interreligious dialogue. So, Jay, thanks a lot for spending some time with me. Alex, welcome to uh, Tel Aviv, Yerah Kodesh. We're uh, <laughs> happy to be hosting you. Awesome, my brother. Thank you so much. So, tell me a little about the Am Yisrael Foundation. Sure. So, the Am Yisrael Foundation, it's an American and Israeli nonprofit organization. It's grown over the last decade to become the world's largest young adult Jewish community nonprofit in the world. It's also the largest Olim community organization here in Israel. It's really an umbrella for about 10 different initiatives that we founded, mainly targeting focus on young Jews, average age 25 to 35, from all over the world and all over Israel to partner to fill vacuums in Israeli, mostly civil society. We recognize that Israel is only on day three of its development. 71 years of a country is still the brand new beginning. We're in that pioneering cowboy Wild West phase still which means there's vacuums. There's not a single problem in Israel. There's nothing to complain about. There's vacuums, things we need to build. And if we need to build, we need builders. We need those pioneers. And so our messaging to young Jews around the world is come home. This place desperately needs you. How exciting and sexy is it to be wanted and needed, to be able with a little bit of creativity and energy, help decide the next thousand years of your people in your home that you can do here in Israel now today. You know, when Ben, you know, in the time of Ben Gurion and Begin, when they passed away, the, the time of pioneering didn't end. And so, you know, waving that flag, reminding people of that message, and that the idea of Zionism is something that begins when you get to Ben Gurion Airport. It doesn't end just because you show up here. And you have to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. And so ultimately, we target young people to partner with their peers, both here and around the world, to fill these vacuums in Israeli civil society, because every generation of Aliyah has its, its halutziut, has its pioneering gift that it brings. When the Russians came, they brought something. When the Moroccans came, they brought something. Everyone here is coming in and bringing their little piece of the best of 2,000 years of diaspora back home for the mutual benefit of all of us. And so a lot of what we see today are the vacuums of Israeli society are in this civil society piece. You know, Israel had last hundred something years of Jews living in this land, really working on existential survival. We had to win wars and we had to build hospitals. We had to build cities. We had to build roads. And thank God we've done that. We've done it all. And although that physical building isn't done, Baruch Hashem, we've, we've really done the heavy lifting. And now for the first time in, in Jewish history, in the modern age, we have the luxury of investing in not just the country, but the nation the soul of the place, not just the body of the place. And so that, you know, we'd use modern terminology, you know, civic engagement, modes of, of, of community development, you know, community, even the idea of community isn't something that's vibrant in Israel. Israelis tr traditionally are the best in the world with friends and family, the best in the world when it comes to national needs. But that's that middle amorphous piece called, called communal life is something that really needs to now be focused on. Also, use, you know, only through local community power can you really move the needle of society forward in, in a public governmental partnership. 
focusing on modes of volunteerism, tzedakah, grassroots leadership, civic engagement. You know, the, these, these are things that are yet to be fully developed as, as a fundamental core of Israeli society that I, I really find is the strength specifically of young Olim coming from Western countries coming here to partner with their Israeli peers to rock out. And so us as the Am Yisrael Foundation, we kind of ingather this, wave the flag of it, build these platforms of, of leadership to fill vacuums in really different areas, whether it be arts or diplomacy or politics, Jewish identity, Zionist action. At the end of the day, for us, Jewish identity, Zionist identity, if it means anything, it has to mean responsibility. And I think it always has traditionally. Being a Jew didn't was never historically a Jew in name only. We didn't have much of that. A Jew meant I do. Sure, we believe, but but even, even from a, a religious Jewish perspective, belief is far less important than the actions that we take. Hopefully over, over time, we also gain belief, but it is that rolling up your sleeves and doing in life, which is ultimately the reason God created us as eternal souls in a physical body, in a physical material earth, because we're here for action. And that means responsibility. And so framing that in the right way and, and, and not and not creating a new Jewish life at all, but making the traditional relevant to new young Jews today in a, in a modern in a modern context, in a modern Israeli context, is, is a lot of what we focus on. One of our taglines talks about observant Zionism. Observant not in terms of religious or secular, observant in terms of observing your Zionism and taking responsibility for that action. One thing that is so inspiring to hear is this notion of we're coming here when we make Aliyah, when we come here not to receive, but rather to give. Have to. I mean, it, have to. First, first of all, I'll say this. Emotionally, just from a psychological perspective, when you engage in something as a giver, not a receiver, you're more invested in it. Thus, you will love it and appreciate it more. It's why a guy gives a girl an expensive diamond ring when they get engaged. A girl always likes jewelry, but she doesn't need it. It's the guy that needs to invest because when you build, when you invest of yourself above and beyond, you have that much more appreciation of something. Yeah. It's not just a little kid that when he scribbles on a piece of paper and says, mommy, daddy, look what I've done. It's not because the art's so amazing because he did it or she did it. And I think that concept of pioneering and needing pioneers it, it not only will bring you here if, you, if you're of that substance of wanting to be a giver, but it'll sustain you here in, in tremendous happiness and health over the long term when you come with that lens. Mm. Now, so much of Israel's existence was, was a reaction to antisemitism. Coming here was an escape, right? There was, there was a unfortunately. Of, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately. It seems like right now when people are effectively choosing to come to Israel, yeah. right, it, the lens that we have to have is... No, I'm coming here because I want to fix this problem. I want to be able to give my pioneering spirit to fixing what's in front of me here. Any ideology, not just Judaism, not just Zionism, any ideology should have an ideal of doing something proactive for the positive, not as a reaction to the negative. Of course, in life, one needs to be reactive to negative circumstance, but it's hardly the ideal level. Yeah. Meaning we should always be running to something, not away from something. And, and certainly it's the great blessing to the Jewish people today and in history that we connect to, to our Jewish identity, to our ideal purpose in life 
because we see it as a noble honor, not as a burdensome responsibility. But the fact that the Jewish people got complacent in diaspora was and is, and ultimately a significant percentage of not the majority of Jews that have moved to Israel over the last hundred years came as a reaction to something negative, whether it be physical anti-Semitism or economic concern is a shame. The ideal is olim by choice yeah. because I'm going somewhere better. Jews don't have an idea of real martyrdom mm. in that way. We should be doing something noble for its, its own sake. So thank God, by the way, we're in a special time of Jewish history that unlike 30 years ago or 100 years ago, there's never been an easier time in history for a Jew to be living in the land of Israel. To, to not come here will only involve excuses, not reasons. And since there's never been an easier time in history to be a Jew living in Israel, you don't no longer need to be a martyr. That's a beautiful thing. And I think we see now that the new wave of specifically young Olim are coming with a lot of fire and ideology and not necessarily, I mean, they're coming from very wealthy and very advanced communities and societies and nations that they're probably running to something, not away from something. Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. Ir Kodesh. The white city. The white city. Why is your base, your heart in Tel Aviv, not in Jerusalem? Sure. So Tel Aviv today is the center of the Jewish world, whether you know it or not. Tel Aviv, bear with me, let me pitch it. Tel Aviv holds the metropolitan area, one quarter of world Jewry. One quarter, 25% of Jews in the world live in the Tel Aviv metropolitan area. It makes it the densest population of Jews on the planet. So regardless of what you may think, this sidewalk and that bus and that supermarket is the most Jewish thing happening on the planet, just demographically. And that means a lot. I think it means a lot theologically, but certainly practically. Tel Aviv, whether we appreciate it or not, is the center of cultural influence, social influence, financial influence, physical influence for the land of Israel today. Tel Aviv is where the army is. Tel Aviv is where the law firms mostly are and the VCs and the banks. It is where the radio and television is. It's the center of fashion, art, and on and on. It's also, uh, as a town itself, 40% of Tel Aviv is between the ages of 20 and 35. It makes it a college campus. The vitality of the land of Israel in terms of growth is here. I love Yerushalayim, and I would never say anything negative of, of Yerushalayim, except to say, just like everywhere in the world, Yerushalayim needs to be something better than it is today. And I don't think that's that's heresy to say. Everything needs to be better and improved. Also, we're not in a time of Moshiach and the Beit Migdash yet. Yerushalayim clearly is something we still pray for to become this this ideal center and, and of course theologically we know that Yerushalayim is the is the spiritual center of the universe god's chosen place where everything spiritually emanates from to be a, a, a light into the rest of the world but practically tel aviv today is, is the center of power and god doesn't work whimsically and if god chose tel aviv to be the center of physical influence then it's, I think, incumbent upon us that care about the positive future of the Jewish people to take that power and, and elevate it for the good. Power is neutral. It's not good or bad. With $10 million and a gun, you could save a lot of lives and do a lot of good or cause a lot of harm. 
and who's ever holding the power, that's what the thing becomes. And so I see Tel Aviv as this tremendous potential of positive influence for the majority of Jews in the world, mm. both in the land of Israel and out. I think that Tel Aviv, as someone who's very passionate about Aliyah, specifically young Jews around the world, Tel Aviv represents a place that is relevant for the majority of young Jews who don't yet live here in Israel to think to want to come to, if I have any chance of pitching, selling, using Tel Aviv as this lighthouse, as a magnet, uh, has the potential to be a lot more effective. And by the way, in the last 10 years, we've seen that rock out. Practically, the majority of young Olim that move here come to Tel Aviv for lots of reasons. Listen, Tel Aviv is a center of power. And if you care about substantively influencing the future of the Jewish people, if it's not in Tel Aviv, you're probably not mm. actualizing that potential. Tel Aviv also has a potential to absorb and maintain far more. Tel Aviv is where most jobs are in the country, certainly English-speaking jobs, certainly jobs that interface in an international context are in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is the heart of the startup nation. It's, it's, it's where most high-tech companies are, but it's also where 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 most Olim find positions even if they're not living here. So first of all, what is the percentage of Olim the move to Tel Aviv? Yeah. Can you give me a little bit of demographics just because yeah, sure. well, so you know, many people who are I'll, involved. I'll start, I'll start with a little little context because when I came, and this go, goes into a lot of the work of of the the Am Yisrael Foundation in general, but when I came here 13 years ago to Tel Aviv, there were a handful of young English internationals bouncing around the city. There were maybe 50 to 100 of us maximum. And dot, 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 over a decade later, we have over 20,000 Western Olim in Tel Aviv. That's an exponential, tremendous growth. And and by the way, it, it's not slowing down. I unfortunately didn't come prepared to give you the exact numbers, but starting about five years ago, Tel Aviv became where most Western Olim came to relative to the numbers coming to Yerushalayim or Haifa or Ashkelon or Netanya, et cetera. What percentage of the Olim that are part of your community of 20,000 are working actively on their own startups or part of a startup are entrepreneurs? You would say again, not... Yeah, so in- certainly. I, it's probably very similar to the general Tel Aviv demographic population. I, I wouldn't say that most Olim in Tel Aviv are entrepreneurs. It is not the majority of people that can be their own boss and create something yep. from nothing. I think it's it's always going to be a very small percentage of society, but there's a lot, and there's a, and there's a growing number of them. I mean, I think for lots of great reason, the the ability to hire the staff you need in a startup context, Tel Aviv has a tremendous employee base for that. In terms of capital, in terms of strategic partnerships with other corporate and otherwise entities here in Tel Aviv is, is like nowhere else in Israel, like very few other places in the world. So having that intensive startup infrastructure here breeds success for other startup infrastructures to build on top of it. And uh, that's a gorgeous thing. So you're touching around 20,000 people a year. At least. I think last year we had over 30,000 young people in and out of our doors. This isn't, these aren't Facebook lights. These are young people in person attending, building community, filling these vacuums of society. So Jay, tell me from an entrepreneurship standpoint, how were you able to come 12 years ago, come to Israel, know maybe a few individuals. You said there was about 50 to 100 individuals who are from a similar background, but sure. really wasn't as, as build-ups as now. 
And you as a pioneer coming into, into the space and building something that to this day, from my understanding, you host the largest Shabbat dinner in history, You're the largest organization, like you said, dealing with Olim. Like how, what were the tools and what were, if you would open up your toolbox, right? Yeah, sure. And, and kind of, if you would reverse engineer what happened. Yeah. What would you say? What happened? How did it start? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't come here saying I want to build an organization. I never wanted to run a nonprofit, which by the way, I still run reluctantly as a volunteer. One of my favorite phrases to use is when people ask me what I do, I'm, I'm a struggling philanthropist. <laughs> I'm not a billionaire. I'm also not getting paid running this organization. It is my my volunteer time. It's my tzedakah. It's my chesed. And I do it proudly, but it's it's always a struggle. And, and a lot of it's a struggle because I, I never wanted to have an organization. I came here, a lot of ideology, theology, practical reasons that maybe we'll get to why I came here in the first place. But surely once I got here, there became, in any place you go, you recognize, wow, this, this isn't 100% what I thought it to be. There's no reason it should, should have fit exactly my, my assumption of what it could be. And, and you start recognizing how much more amazing this place is than I thought it was before I came on a one-way trip. As a tourist, you only go really skin deep. But then you also see the vacuums. You also see not the, not the problems because I, I, I don't really believe there's any problems or issues in Israel. There's vacuums. You've mentioned this word a few times. Yeah. Can you differentiate between a vacuum and a Yeah, and sure. So, you, and so, so we've all done this. Right. We go to Ikea, we buy a coffee table. You're, you're halfway through screwing it together and it's still lopsided. And there's a reason for that because you haven't finished building it yet. And you can't complain about something un- until you've said, you know, we're, we're fully formed. We're not fully formed. Israel, again, 70 years of a country is nothing. And uh-huh. we're, still, we're still at that real toddler phase of a nation. And so what's to complain about? I, I hate the concept that people come here or they're from here and they spend more time complaining than doing. I believe deeply, even on a theological level, that there are 14 million Jews in the world and there's 14 million vacuums in this country. And each one of us is needed here to fill one of those vacuums. And each one of us, if God allows us to see a need here, it's because God also gave us that ability to help solve part of that need and that we have the capacity to, to elevate that for the mutual benefit of, of all of the Jewish people and then all of humanity. And so there's no room for complaining. There's only room for doing we're too new to start worrying about the problems. Okay, perfect. So going back to yeah. reverse engineering. Reverse engineering. Success. All right. So I didn't yeah, want to build is, an organization. This is great. I wanted to come here and I wanted to be selfish. I wanted to not, you know, coming here without friends and family. I wanted to build my own life for my benefit, for my future family, for my for my, you know, the future of myself here. I wanted to invest in the place because I knew if I invested in the place, I would appreciate it more. I also had this sense of responsibility of, I want to be a good son of my family called the Jewish people. So I also should be painting the walls and, and taking out the garbage and mowing the lawn. And, you know, Israel's not the home of Israelis. It's, it's the, the, the home of the Jewish people. And it shouldn't just be the, the native Sabar Israelis whose job it is to sweat and cry and bleed here. And even though I came later in life, came a week before my 30th birthday, I wanted to contribute as much as possible from that responsibility point of view. So I just started doing and I wanted to, to create and use Tel Aviv as this lighthouse to shine to young Jews around the world to come home. 
I also want that to be, you know, to be this magnet to attract them. And I also understand that the, the idea of the pull is stronger than the push. And I wanted people to be attracted to something, not pushed away from the negative. Again, kind of referencing what we spoke about earlier. And so I started building these community baskets to kind of coalesce the young people that were here. And by the way, our organization is really a 50-50 partnership with young Sabra native Israelis with young internationals that come here to, to, to partner together to, to move these needles forward. So I started building different community initiatives that were organizations at that point to coalesce who was here. And then for the new arrivals to give them this incredible basket to when I show up, I have friends and I have yeah. relationship connections and business connections. And that's so crucial without thinking of building this 501c3 nonprofit organization. So one of the first initiatives I started doing were large community Shabbat dinners. Shabbat's easy because it involves food, it involves wine, it involves l'chaims, involves alcohol. Everyone from any background, very religious to not religious to not even Jewish can get together around a Shabbos table. And if it's a young, cool crowd with decent food and better liquor, you're going to have a great time. And it's something that certainly spending 10 years in New York involved in young Jewish community, you know, works. And of course, Shabbat theologically is a sustaining vital force for the Jewish people. So I, I began hosting every few weeks, these large community Shabbat dinners. I named the white city Shabbat as a moniker, white city being, being a nickname of Tel Aviv because of the Bauhaus architectural buildings that we have here in such density. And I, I was like the idea of the, the white as a purity and connecting uh-huh. with the idea of Shabbat. But I also really wanted to make an easy first step for young people getting together. Yeah. Again, you know, remember, community doesn't exist in Israel. Even a synagogue in Israel is not a, is not a community space. It may be a place we go and pray and leave, but it's not this engine of communal life the way we think of it in, in diasporitic terms. Can you just open it up again a little bit more? Community does not exist. Sure, in sure. Israel. So there's family which exists there's, in Israel. There's friends. There's family. There's it's really nation, the strongest, and, there, and there's the national need. What is community? Let's the first yeah. define. And, and how, can you We're give gonna, an example in America? What is it? America? Yeah, for sure. Because you're American, so of course. So I'll, I'll def- define community first. Community is a large number of somewhat like-minded individuals who all revolve around a context of something they all care about and believe in. They're not all necessarily friends with each other, but they do understand that with mutual effort, they're able to elevate X context. It's a pretty dry dry explanation, but it's really true because it's often ill-defined. There may be a group of 20 friends that's not a community, and there may be hundreds of thousands of people in a place that care about something, but it's also not community. And so community can be formed around anything. It can be formed around saving the whales or cleaning up a beach. It can be formed around interests like sport, right? We can have a community of hundreds of us that have a little basketball league and, and we all get together and, and want to elevate the idea of the local community self-organizing. And also something that I think is should be inherent in, in community is the idea that it's, it's self organized it's 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 self-help it's self-benefit even if it's for a greater good it's not something that the government does for you it's something that the people do for themselves in mass locally 
And ultimately, I think minority communities, certainly Jewish communities in the diaspora, created it often out of need because we were the minority in a majority context. And being a minority, whether e- even if it's not in a hostile majority environment, there is there is a necessity and benefit to having the local minority population grouping together over over unique interests. So, is is it because the government was initially a very socialist leading government? The you EU, know, you're expecting government to take. You care know, of I think that that's that's a lot to do with it. You bring up an interesting an interesting point. I think about a lot. Ben Gurion, for lots of good reason created consciously a big brother government who said, our job is to do the majority of everything. We need to overnight build all the cities and all the hospitals and all the roads. And so we're going to say, as this large socialist welfare state, which is how Israel was founded, we're going to have the majority of the power and take responsibility to do the majority of X. And what happens when you do that is, You maybe get a lot done very quickly, but you also engender a population that sees the government as as big brothers who's supposed to do everything. So if there is dog crap on my street, instead of me creating a neighborhood, clean, let's have the community clean organization, we're going to just sit and complain and say, government, I pay my taxes and I, and I elected you, so it's your job to do it. And that sucks. What does that do? It, it makes both a population that is more attuned to complaining than doing. It falsely has the population assume that if we only had the best 120 members in Knesset, this country would be perfect. That's never the case. The most perfect individuals in any government will only ever be able to do so much. The reality is for a vibrant democracy and a vibrant civil society to function ideally, you need a vibrant local communal partnership with either the local government and national government to move the needle onwards and upwards. We have a few more minutes and this has been just incredible. I want to do some rapid fire questions for you, okay? Building the financial elements of the of the nonprofit, you are a small organization but with a significant budget, right? There yeah. that you are personally responsible for. Sure. How do you approach supporters? Sure. How do you convey to individuals that this is a, a worthy cause? How do you look at somebody in the eye and say, I, I, believe me, I'm a good steward for your resources? How do you view the financial yeah. piece of it? Great. And then do you see them as investors? Do you see them as a partners? What's Great. your strategy? So, so one, I'm a volunteer. And the majority of, of the good that's done by my organization is, is run by an army of hardworking, mostly younger me's who take on this responsibility of, of rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty to do what's necessary here. When I go to donors and they recognize that the majority of our activity is done by volunteers and I myself am a volunteer, I'm not asking for my own salary, it helps. That this is also my tzedakah and that maybe not every single young person who's volunteering or actually giving shekels out of their pocket. The fact that their volunteer hours are moving the needle forward is tremendous. We manage multiple organizations doing huge amounts of impact like White City Shabbat, the Tel Aviv International Salon, Adopt the Safta, the, the, the main organization in Israel taking care of lonely Holocaust survivors, lonely elderly Jews on a big brother, big sister model is almost exclusively powered by volunteers. 
and on and on. But volunteers aren't free. Volunteers take tremendous amount of management, love, care, and attention. And you always are going to need a core professional staff once you have any nonprofit organization that A, once there's a nonprofit, you need lawyers and accountants, multiple countries. You need core professional staff, whether it be volunteer coordinators, social media, social workers. We do a lot of Jewish life, Jewish education. We run a whole program called Torah Tech, just engaging young people in the concept of the startup nation and Jewish learning as something that should be melded and should be blended for a healthy lifestyle that really is 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 epitomized with, with Tel Aviv itself. What you can't do for free is education. What you can't do for free one-on-one attention. I, I can do a lot as a volunteer for the people, but it takes a person to elevate a person. Yeah. And so the majority of what we fundraise for are community life leaders and educators. We have a lot of young rabbis. We have a, we have a lot of social workers working with lonely elderly and, and, and doing a lot of volunteer management with their young people. So again, back to what you were saying, I really do see my, my donors as partners because I'm not asking them to help me. I'm asking them to partner with me to help others. Amazing. Entrepreneurship in Israel if an individual says, I'm afraid of coming to Israel because I want to be able to build my company here. Yeah. Or how will I be able to run my company remotely? What, what do you sure. say to those people with that fear? I can't financially, I don't know the language, I don't know the culture. How do I yeah. do this thing? Like, I, I love business. I love right. solving problems. I get it. I have it. I get it. I get it. First of all, for good or for bad, you don't need Hebrew in Israel. If you're worried about the language, that should be the last reason that you think is a hurdle of not coming here. If you lived in Paris, if you don't have perfect French in six months, you're screwed. You can live, unfortunately, a lifetime in Israel, never really needing Hebrew. The software that runs on, on the startup nation is English. Besides the fact that every high-tech company here does the majority of its Parnassa internationally means that English is going to be what powers that company. It's what's going to be the biz, the biz dev, the sales, the marketing mm-hmm. that is the engine for whatever the, the company may be doing. So language from that context, never the issue. God made also made a great miracle, this thing called globalization. The world is a lot smaller than it used to be. And you don't need fax machines and you don't need uh, steamerships. And you don't need passenger pigeons to get the word out. You can sit anywhere in the world and be anywhere in the world because of technology. And I think most companies work that way. Also, flying is a lot cheaper and easier than than ever in history. And that's not a bad thing. Also, because so much international business is international, Israel being where it's located, certainly quicker and faster to Europe, quicker and faster to to Africa, quicker and faster to most of Asia than, for instance, the US. But even, even the US, the hours actually work. If you did want to sit in Israel and work American hours, that's, that's some great hours to be working. You get a, from a Tel Aviv context, you get a mornings on the beach and relaxing lunches, and then you're working from 4 to 11, whatever it may be. And that's not necessarily the, wor- the worst yeah. of, of, of lives and schedules. Being a Jew and making aliyahs, doing what's what's right and what's good, not what's comfortable and easy. I, I would never say it's easy. It's the right thing to do. 
That's I mean, part of what being a Jew is. Is it easy here? Of course not. Is it easier than ever before? Of course, yes. Is it more, is it a fulfilling, more meaningful, substantive life than you could have anywhere else on the planet? Of course, because as a Jew, this is your native habitat. This is where you can best, for whatever reason God chose, this is where you can best actualize your potential as an individual, as a family, and as a nation. And so, for whatever reason, a little bit of struggle is what God wants from us. And that doesn't, and it's not, that doesn't mean you should suffer. I think there's very few people suffering in Israel. There's virtually no homelessness here. By the way, Israel has some of the longest lifespans of any nation in the world. I think for men, it's top five in the world in terms of men's lifespan in Israel. That's not nothing. Jay, any last words to, uh, you want to share? Us last Come two? home. Come home now. This, this place needs you, but this place also wants you. You need to be here for yourself. This is where you, you really are going to live the most meaningful, substantive life possible. And we're also, you'll know that your great-great-grandkids will be a part of it. And unfortunately, the, the main existential threat of the Jewish people today, it's not Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah. It's the fact that the majority of young Jews not living in Israel today are going to have non-Jewish grandchildren. It's the fact that the majority of Jews in the world aren't conservative, reform, or orthodox. They're disconnected completely from any community context and are just apathetic, ignorant, and lazy. And here, there is no apathy, and here there is no lazy, and here there is no ignorant. You're on the front lines, you're in the Wild West, you're cowboying every day, you're feeling the vitality of life, and I can't imagine a richer, more meaningful life.